in a state of stress, we always revert back to our highest level of training under stress. And what we have to do is interrupt that pattern, create a new empowering pattern, and now we have rewired our brain. And if we do that one time, 10 times, 30 times, we have just deactivated the triggers that cause the effects. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. When you imagined what 2020 was going to be like, did you ever imagine any of this? I bet you had a very different vision at the beginning of January this year. Maybe it included travel, potentially somewhere you'd never been before, or maybe it even included live events, potentially a concert that you were dying to go see. I know that both were on the docket for me. And what's funny is that I spent a lot of time getting crystal clear about what I wanted this particular year to look like, probably the most time I've spent to date. And that's not to say that some of what I envisioned hasn't come true, because it has. There have been many things that I am very grateful for this year. But since March, like many of us, I have pivoted in many ways in my personal life and in my business. And so much feels different, especially right now here in July, where we're in the middle of summer, yet lots of things aren't the same, right? We're not traveling as much. We're not seeing as many people as we would like. There's just a lot of things that are different this summer. But one thing has remained consistent is my mindset, my daily self-care, and my journaling. See, I know that I'm prone to go into overdrive and I can let stress get the best of me. It's my Achilles heel. And I know that I'm not the only one. It's so easy to get caught up in all the craziness and juggling the many, many different roles that we have taken on since the beginning all of this. Teacher, caretaker, healer, the list goes on and on when it comes to our families. In my journey to find ways to quiet the mind and to reduce the amount of stress I experience, I have sought out a lot of experts on the field and I've brought them here to the show. My intention is to always find ways to quickly move myself out of that stress and overdrive so that I can shift my mindset from a place of survival and just go, 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 kind of like that rushing woman syndrome to a place of relaxation, ease, and endless possibilities. And let me tell you, it has taken a lot of practice, but the shift has been a saving grace for me. And honestly, the alternative is just not an option anymore. So today, one of my go-to experts who have studied how the brain works in its entirety, especially during times of stress, is joining me today. And I'm lucky to call him a friend because his energy and joy is infectious. John Asaraf will be sharing his best tools for shifting our focus and mindset in a matter of seconds. What I love most about John's techniques is that they are easy and effective. And I am always a fan of easy and effective. But before we bring on John to the show to share his wisdom with each of us, I want to quickly sing his praises. John Asaraf is one of the leading mindset and behavioral experts in the world who has appeared numerous times on Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper, and The Ellen Show. He's written numerous New York Times bestselling books, and he's been featured in 10 movies, including The Secret and The Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. 
He is the founder of NeuroGym, which helps individuals strengthen their mindset so they can achieve their goals faster and easier than ever before. Let's welcome John onto the show. Welcome to the show, John. How are you doing today? I am doing so great and it's so wonderful to be with you. I know it's been a little while because of the whole, all of this, all that's been going on. You're not too far away from me, but still it feels, it feels far enough away. Everybody's uh, quarantined or contained in, in one form or another. So I, I understand. Well, I'm really excited we're having this conversation because most importantly right now, I feel like people are stuck in a lot of their limiting beliefs, their fears and concerns, a lot of because we just don't know. I mean, you and I are recording right now when numbers are spiking again after we thought things were getting lower. And I can imagine people are definitely feeling like they don't know what's going on or what to do. And one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have you on the show today is that you have helped thousands of people really overcome some of their biggest, deepest fears, some of their those stories that just wedge a pattern into our belief system that allows us to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And so we're going to be talking about that today. But what I'd love to do is just have people get to know you. And I'd love to know, because I mean, the work that you're doing is transformative. What was that defining moment for you when you knew this was the work you wanted to do in the world? Oh, my. Uh, I don't know that there was a time where I knew I wanted to do this work, but there was definitely a defining time in my life when I realized there was another way to do what I was doing to get the results I wanted. And I'm going to take you back 40 years. I'll tell you a quick story. I was getting into a lot of trouble as a teen, and my brother introduced me to a client of his who was a philanthropic entrepreneur in real estate. And um, so my brother arranged for a meeting with this man by the name of Alan Brown. And at the meeting, this man asked me, why am I getting into trouble? And I said, I don't know. I just you know, want to make some money and I want to do fun things. and I want to travel and I want to you know, just buy nice things. He said, well, why don't you do legal things? I was doing illegal things at the time. And I said, well, I've, you know, I failed English in high school. I failed math in high school. I failed chemistry in high school. I was voted most likely to fail in life. And I was told that if I didn't graduate and if I didn't go to college, I wouldn't amount to much. And so I just don't think I'm smart enough like the other kids are. And he goes, do you realize that that's just a story you're telling yourself? And so that went on for a few minutes and he gave me this document that was a goal setting guide. And it asked questions like, what age do you want to retire? How much money do you want to earn? What is your debt free day? What kind of lifestyle do you want to live? And I'm thinking, I'm 19 years old. I don't have any idea when I want to retire. I'd like to get a job. So he said, just fill it out and then, and then give it to me. So I sat down for 15 minutes. I, I wrote out a whole bunch of stuff that I had seen on the TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And um, he looked at me and says, these are actually some pretty good goals. Where did you get them? I told him on a TV show. And so he said to me, so you want to be a millionaire by the time you're 45, you want to have $3 million in net worth, you want to travel the world, you want to retire your parents. I wrote down all of these things that I had zero belief that I could achieve, zero knowledge, zero skills, zero context, just zero on all fronts. And he said to me, so I could tell you in less than 10 seconds whether you will achieve every one of these goals and dreams. And all I have to do is ask you one question. And I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, just the answer to one question will determine whether you will achieve all those things. I said, well, what's this one question? 
And he said, are you interested in achieving these things or are you committed? And I, I didn't even know what that meant. So I asked him, like, what's the difference? And he says, if you're interested, you'll keep using your stories and your excuses and your past and your traumas and your, and your limiting beliefs and your negative self-talk. And that will control your thinking, your emotions and your behaviors. But if you're committed, you'll let that go once and for all. You will upgrade your knowledge, you'll upgrade your skills, and you will become the type of person who can achieve his goals. Now, are you interested or are you committed? And so I was like, well, uh, I guess I'm committed. And in that one second, one question, one answer, he reached out his hand and he said, in that case, son, I will be your mentor. In that moment, my life changed because then he gave me a framework of how to think, how to manage my emotions and self-regulate and how to upgrade my knowledge and skills so that I could become the person who could achieve all of those goals. And so then I went on to work for him. I moved from one city to another. I made $30,000 my first year working for him in real estate on commission. I made $151,000 the next year. He got me to invest in real estate. Then I started my own real estate company that I ended up with 85 offices, 1,200 salespeople, $4.5 billion a year in sales. And I can go on with what happened from that time. But when you asked me, was there a moment that I wanted to teach this? The answer was when I had trained my employees and staff and, and family and friends that you can have more mental and emotional control and you can upgrade your knowledge and skills so that you actually feel worthy of the goals that you want to achieve. When I did all of those things, um, I felt compelled to write some books and they became New York Times best-selling books. Then people asked me if I would teach them. I said, of course I would. I, I want to pay it forward um, because somebody helped me. And so I want to help as many people as possible. Now, and I've been doing this now for, I don't know, about 15 years. Oh, I love that story. I love that defining moment for you, John, where you were, you were having this conversation, 19 years old, and that defining moment of committing versus being interested in it. And I, I love that that completely transformed everything in your life. And I'm sure along the way, there were so many tools and so many things that you were able to bring in. And I'll let you continue, but, you know, the, the one thing that I've learned over the last 40 years of being, you know, developing myself personally so I could have a better life, so I could be happy and fulfilled and, and giving and caring and kind and philanthropic is any obstacle that we have, there's a solution for it. So there isn't an obstacle, a trauma, a limiting belief, a fear an uncertainty or a doubt that the answer to that obstacle does not exist. So that's not our problem. Hmm. And I bet people are thinking, how is that possible? I know, I know even myself occasionally, it's, it's not that often, but I think, you know, occasionally we catch ourselves thinking, feeling that we're not enough, that we're not smart enough, we're not worthy enough of our success, of our dreams, or even just to get to that next level. One, how do we get caught in those patterns? And, you know, you're talking about in any scenario, there's always going to be a solution. How can we begin to see our way into that solution if we're constantly getting stuck in those patterns? Great. So maybe we can start off with a premise that I have that I'd like to see if everybody else will share with me. Would you agree that our brain, 
that's been evolving for billions of years, but with humans being on Earth for about 1.2 million years from Homo erectus to Homo sapien to today. This has been evolving for billions of years somehow to become the most powerful biocomputer in the known universe. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. So we have this biocomputer called our brain, but we've never been given the instruction manual for how it works. What's the hierarchy of how it works? What are the different circuits that operate our brain? So what if I shared with you that your brain's number one priority is survival above all else? Everybody says, yeah, that makes sense. What if I shared with you that the very next thing that your brain is wired to do automatically without thought every time is pick up any time that there's real or imagined mental, emotional, physical, financial, or even spiritual danger that can cause you discomfort or pain. So let's play that against what you just said. How come sometimes I feel less than, not smart enough, not good enough, not skilled enough? That is because whenever we are using what I call is the Einstein part of our brain, that left prefrontal cortex to imagine and to, to feel like we're, we want to achieve something bigger, another part of our brain, that Frankenstein part of our brain says, what if you fail? What if you lose money? What if you make a mistake? What if you're embarrassed? What if you're ashamed? What if you're ridiculed? What if you're judged? So what if we just said, this is the natural way our brain works. And our job is not to allow that little negative voice, that inner critic to hold us back. It's to be aware that that Frankenstein part of our brain is there to protect us against our potential demise or potential pains or fears. Now, when you're driving your car down the street and a light pops up on your dash, do you take a hammer and hit the light? Well, of course you don't. Of course the light not. is a signal. Well, limiting beliefs that show up as self-doubt, limiting beliefs that show up as un uh, uncertain feelings, limiting beliefs or a self-image that says, am I really good enough? Am I really smart enough? Anytime we are looking to achieve something that we haven't yet achieved, that's out of our comfort zone, that is going to trigger Okay, that amygdala, that what I call that little Frankenstein part of the brain, which releases the neurochemicals of whether it's cortisol or epinephrine or norepinephrine. We feel that in our body because the feeling is a little bit of an anxious or stressed feeling. We want to move away from that. That is just a biological response to change. So in those moments, John, I know, and that, that happens all the time, and we talk about this, and I know when people have had traumas or they've been overly triggered by perceived stressors, whatever they may be, they're a little bit more prone to firing off that amygdala. I call the amygdala the stranger danger center. It's yeah. always like stranger danger. And it increases in size the more it fires The more off. we use it, Yeah. And so it, this becomes this perpetuating wheel, this cycle. I see, a, unfortunately, a lot of women you know, getting stuck in when they're, they're taking care of their families or taking care of everything they're worrying about, everybody, because you know, it's what you know, mama bears do. So when we get stuck in those cycles, is it in that defining moment that we ask ourselves or we say to ourselves, I am not my thoughts? Like, how do we break that? Two things. Before we get into what to do, let's understand stress. Yes. The definition of stress is when demand exceeds capacity. 
When demand, whether it's mental demand exceeds capacity, physical, financial, whatever it is, when demand exceeds capacity. So what causes stress in one person doesn't cause stress in another person. Right. We ca- I call that perceived, right? It depends on your capacity. And your capacity. So that's part one. Part two, when we feel stressed, when we feel uncertain, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel doubtful, let's assume that those are disempowering states. If right when we're feeling that, we said, okay, so in my brain or in my nervous system, a circuit just activated, the circuit of stress, let's call it. And we know, and you know, this is the sympathetic nervous system. Well, what happens when that circuit's activated? Well, we know that the blood flow from our thinking brain if moving away from the city brain shuts down, we know that we're either in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And for some people, they faint. And so we know that we're usually constricting our physiology. We know that our breathing is more shallow. What if right in those times when we're stressed out and exhausted, we just said, stop. What if I did an inner size for my brain? So we have exercises you can do to strengthen your body and your organs and muscles. Well, what about an inner size to strengthen your mental and emotional abilities? So if you just did this, I call it take six, calm the circuits. So the sequence is taking six deep breaths as slowly as you can in through your nose and out through your mouth as as if you're blowing out through a straw. If you do that six times, you deactivate that sympathetic nervous system, you reactivate the parasympathetic nervous system, blood flow comes back to that Einstein part of your brain, the entire physiology that was a stressed one before is a calm one now, and now in a calm state, we can respond. And then I teach all of my clients to do inner size number two, and that's called AYA, and that is awareness, intention, action. So the question is awareness of what? So if we are focusing on the effect uh, called stress, the effect called doubt, the effect called whatever, then we're missing the whole point. What we should be looking at is what's causing that stress signal to activate, that Frankenstein brain to activate. So if we're in a state of awareness of what have my thoughts just been? What are my emotions, feelings, sensations, and what behavior was I engaged in or that I want to get engaged in that, that I didn't take? If we practice a state of awareness without judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification, no judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification, just pure awareness, it's in awareness that we're in a state of choice. So in this state of awareness, we can ask ourselves, what's my intention for the next 15 minutes? Or what's my intention for the next hour? So my intention is to be calm. My intention is to be happy. My intention is to be focused. My intention is to be productive, whatever the intention is. And then to keep that neural circuitry from firing off that stress again, you ask, what's one little action step? Not a big one, but what's one small action step that I could take towards what I want? So if I want to be happy, can I think of a happy thought? If I want to be happy, can I mentally go to, a, you know, to the beach somewhere? If I want to be productive, is there one little thing I could do right now to move me forward so I interrupt the old pattern and now I create a brand new pattern where I'm in control because I'm able to be calm so I can respond versus being stressed when I'm reacting 
at the highest level of my training and skill. Mm, I love that. In a state of stress, we always revert back to our highest level of training under stress. And what we have to do is interrupt that pattern, create a new empowering pattern, and now we have rewired our brain. And if we do that one time, 10 times, 30 times, we have just deactivated the triggers that cause the effects. John, does it matter the most that we do it in the moment where we're feeling that perceived stressor? Or could we also send the, do the inner size work before or maybe throughout the day? I have found sometimes that people, when they're in it, ah, yeah. they forget, they get, they get caught up in it. And so I always wonder if it's possible to, to when in their moments, like maybe you have a little chime on your phone, maybe four or five or six times a day. There we go. <laughs> exactly like what I was that. going to tell you. <laughs> Pay close attention to everybody who's listening about what I'm about to say. This it will make a lot of sense. If you were an Olympic athlete or professional musician, or you were a, a professional chess player or knitter, it doesn't make a difference if you're knitting. Anybody who's playing the game at the at the highest level understands what I'm about to share. Amateurs practice until they get it right once or twice or three times. Pros practice until they can't get it wrong. So amateurs practice to get it right once or twice or three. Pros practice till they can't get it wrong. So is it possible that because of this neuroscience philosophy or neuroscience behavior called automaticity, that if let's say you set your clock or your alarm on your cell phone to, uh, let's say, 7.55 a.m., 8.55 a.m., 9.55, 10.55, all day long, five minutes, the last five minutes of the hour, if you just stopped, took six deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, that's inner size one, you did aya, inner size number two, and then you could do inner size number three, which is called flip the switch, which means whatever emotional state that I was in, I could flip that switch to the emotional state I want for the next hour. Is it possible that if you are in the right physiological state, if you are right in the right mental state, the right focus state, and you practice that, let's say, eight times tomorrow, and you practice it eight times the next day, and eight times the next day, and eight times the next day, is it possible that because the brain's third hierarchy of what it does is conserve energy, and your brain says, listen, anything that you repeat over and over and over again, I'm just going to make it automatic so I can conserve energy. So is it possible that using the latest brain science, you can actually set up an automatic pattern within yourself that checks and balances all the time, your thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, behaviors? And the answer is absolutely. And that's how you teach yourself to pay attention and to be aware of your thoughts and emotions and realize I have 50,000 thoughts a day, but I'm not my thoughts. My thoughts release chemicals, but I'm not my chemicals that are released that cause me to feel certain things. And in any given second, I can flip the switch on my emotions like a Hollywood actress does when she is paid a million or $5 million to play a role and she can change whatever role she's playing in two seconds from happy to sad, to angry, to mad, to laughing hysterically on demand. That is a mental and emotional skill you learn. I love it. 
And what I love so much about the inner sizes, the inner size that you've given us one, two, and three is that they are simple and they are quick. It's not, you know, we're not asking someone to do a 45 minute meditation. We're asking someone, you know, like I love how absolutely doable they are. And I cannot tell you how much I love the idea of, of the practice. Like, you know, clearly subconsciously we've practiced a stress state. We've practiced a triggering state. We can easily practice a different state, a state that leads to endless possibilities for any of us. And our brain is consistently focusing on how do we move away from what we don't want? So it's focusing our energy and attention on the stuff that we don't want, but very few people practice what they do want. So that becomes the default. And, you know, again, we have, we have, um, uh, networks in our brain, the, the default mode network, the salience network, the executive network, and executive function network, and all of it operates very, very, very fast without our awareness. Now, what I'm suggesting is let's bring back our awareness, and it's in the awareness that we can actually utilize our brain better and turn on or turn off the circuits that are causing us to feel certain things or take action or not take action. You know, when, when people procrastinate not doing things, procrastination is an effect. Procrastination is not the cause of itself. I mean, it can be, but procrastination is an effect. And so the question is, what's causing me to procrastinate? What's causing me not it's to take A million dollar question, John. <laughs> <laughs> but we know the answer but to that. But we know the answer, but tell us anyway. <laughs> it's practice. Is it that we've practiced that state? Well, we've practiced that state and it, be, and can it become a habit, yes. But there, there are some people that procrastinate because of an arousal effect in our brain. So they actually uh, release dopamine the more they wait and wait and wait. For others, it's decisional. It's, I just don't know what to do, so I'm going to procrastinate because I feel insecure. For others... It's not decisional, but it's because of low self-worth or low self-esteem or limiting beliefs. And so there are, those are the three core reasons people procrastinate. So all of those are solvable. But if you don't have the skill to say, well, how do I release my limiting beliefs? How do I upgrade my self-image or self-worth or self-esteem? Because we weren't born with any limiting beliefs. We weren't born with self-image or self-worth or self-esteem. We weren't born with habits. We weren't born with any fears. All of that was created and then reinforces a neural pattern and network in our brain that then automatically gets activated. So our job in our you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, is to become aware of the pattern, interrupt the pattern, and create a new pattern. That is the law, or not the law, but neuroplasticity at its very, very finest, right? Is if we don't change, then we reinforce the old patterns. And most people prefer to master disappointment and comfort zones versus mastering change. Hmm, I agree. I absolutely agree. That's why I'm so passionate about the work is because now we know how to change faster and easier than ever before. Not fast and easy, faster and easier. And when we deal from, when we come from a place of, of knowledge and self-awareness and, and empathy and self-love without judgment, blame, shame, or guilt, just understand, here's how my brain works. Here's how I became conditioned. Here's how I deactivate the disempowered ones. Here's how I create new ones. Now we could be in a much more empowered 
state of creation, love, abundance, etc. I love it. And so as we work on these, we start to practice these amazing kind of brain modalities, these, these ways in which to shift the way our consciousness is, or even just how we feel. Does that start to change or shift not only how we feel about ourselves, does it open the door to that possibility that we can dream bigger, that we can think about reaching those bigger goals? Talk to me about what if someone has been stuck and they've got these beautiful practices and they're doing the work. What's that next step to really be thinking, I can do the thing, I, I, the thing I never thought I could do. I can finally step into that zone. Is there any little next, next step or is it, is it just a matter of doing the exercises? Well, uh, the exercises for, you know, for mental and emotional control, resiliency, focus, awareness, that's, that's that part. Right. So if we want to achieve goals, meditating on them doesn't achieve goals. Hoping, praying, you know, and that law of attraction stuff that, you know, a lot of people know about and talk about is... Um, they forget that in the word attraction, the last six letters are action. action. So from a neurological perspective, how we achieve goals, there's a part of our brain that's responsible for setting goals. There's a part of our brain that's responsible for figuring out how can I achieve those goals. But there's another part of our brain that's responsible for the behavior to actually take action. So Every goal that we have, we start off with a vision. Like, wh what does it look like upon completion? And then we say, okay, what are some goals along the way that we could achieve towards that vision? And then let's say we get to today and we say, what little thing can I do today just to move me towards it? A little thing, not, not 25 things, not 10 things, not nine. One little thing that I can do. Now, why do we start with one little thing? The everything. Everybody can do one little thing. Yes, we can. And so we want to reduce the resistance of stuck. We want to reduce the resistance of complexity. We want to reduce the resistance of so many things to do. If I ask somebody, could you take one action step to be healthier today? Uh, everybody tells me yes. Can you take one action step to save more money today? Yes. Could you take one action step to make a little bit more money? Today? Like one little thing. Everybody says yes. And if they say no, I said, can you find out what you can do today? And everybody says, well, yeah, I guess I could find out. Great. Now we have progressive or, or, or progress forward versus being stuck or backwards. So why do we want to develop these patterns of, of, of behavior? The answer is because of the same reason it's hard to move a stationary car and it's a lot easier when the car's in motion, we can steer the car left or right. Once we're in motion, we have choices. Once we're stuck, we're reinforcing a stuck pattern. So a little positive behavior in the right direction, even a behavior that is not in the right direction that you learn from is better than stuck. I love it. That makes so much sense. I always say eating, eating the elephant one bite at a time. That's right. Every day you're making that little little step in the right direction. And does that create, I mean, a lot of that then creates belief and confidence. It creates momentum and that changes everything as well. And when we begin to see it happen for us, we're more committed. Yeah. A lot of people forget to celebrate the little wins. Our brain doesn't know the difference between celebrating a little win, achieving something small or achieving something big. It releases that dopamine. 
So if we do, you know, a lot of little actions that release that dopamine, that make us feel good about ourselves, that give us a little bit of self-confidence, that builds up our self-worth instead of destroying it, then we have the infrastructure to do what? Be an action taker, you know, move forward towards our goals and dreams. And then we can solve more complex stuff. But the key is let's get going. I, I always like to ask people a question that I, I, I know the answer to for 99% of the people. I ask them, if uh, I said to you, let's go jog 26.2 miles today, could you do it? Everybody says, no, I can't jog 26.2 miles. I say, okay, but let's say we committed today to jog 26.2 miles a year from now. And today, all we did was went for a walk for five minutes. And then we uh, looked online to say, uh, how do I train for a marathon? Uh, and we did a little bit of research. We said, okay, day one, walk for five minutes. Day two, walk for five minutes. Day three, walk for five minutes. Day four, five, and six, walk for five minutes. Um, day seven, walk for seven minutes. And on day one and three and five, don't eat this, eat this instead and get eight hours of sleep a night. If everybody committed to learning what to do in a healthy way, in an easy way, just to get going, almost every single person, if they set their mind to it, that they really wanted to and they committed, everybody could run or jog slowly a marathon a year from now. So even though you can't right now, if you committed to all of the how-to is available in seconds on Google. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, you know, I can speak to that too. My mom was um, going through menopause, having a heck of a time. And I remember running a, just a small little race with her. It was about five miles and we weren't able to run the whole thing. I remember kind of being really bummed because my mom was always the superwoman to me. You know, like I said, she was going through this, um, but we, we, we got her through it. I ended up becoming a practitioner, got her through it. And she decided that she was going to commit to the LA marathon the next year. And she ran that marathon and she has now run 75 marathons and half marathons since trophies to prove it and, and medals to prove it. And it just really goes to show that, you know, someone who kind of walked, jogged that five miles, we, we barely got through that that day, you know, a year later was running the LA Marathon and is qualified for the Boston. And so I just want to speak into that, that it's yeah. absolutely possible. And, and I want to come back to, to something that's really, you know, at the core of where we started. A lot of people want to um, make more money, start a business, grow their business, have a better relationship, uh, be a better mom, a better dad, whatever the, the goal of the vision is. And I'm going to come back to all the how is there. Are you committed to that outcome? Like, are you committed? Because if you're going to put in half measures, you're not going to achieve your goals. So you might as well just enjoy your life right now. Stay in your comfort zone. Don't get frustrated at your comfort zone. But if you're not prepared to invest in the switch cost, don't do it. And the switch cost is we all have to pay the price of change, right? And that is uncomfortable. But if you learn how to manage your emotions, if you learn how to manage your mindset, it becomes so much easier. And, you know, Jim Rohn, a wonderful, wonderful uh, personal development philosopher said, you're either going to pay the price of discipline in life or you're going to pay the price of regret. He says, discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons, hmm. right? So yes, it takes some discipline 
to achieve your goals and dreams. But what's the alternative to stay stuck, to whine and complain and not be happy and not be fulfilled and not feel joyful? Like why when the success you want is readily available to you? You just have to be willing to navigate through the slight discomfort from where you are in your current comfort zone to a new comfort zone. I love it. Well, John, you have gotten our attention today. That is for sure. Where can we go and just get more of you? I know you've got your books up there. Talk to me a little bit about how we can plug in. Awesome. So my newest book is called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. It's a new Amazon bestselling book. My other New York Times bestselling book is called Having It All. And if you're a business owner, New York Times bestselling book is The Answer. I'm on Instagram at, at John Asraf. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, my Facebook fan page. I've got a YouTube channel. I do a lot of free training, a lot of free stuff. And that's how to find me. Awesome. Well, we will be linking. We'll be linking to the books and we will be linking to YouTube and Insta so we can go and check you out. I follow you on Instagram. I love your content. And I just want to say thank you so much for dialing it in, making it simple and inspiring us to take that next step, that small little next step, because we all have it in us. Thank you so much. Thank you. For a very, very long time, I found myself easily triggered and driven into survival mode and it had major health implications, health issues that I am still addressing today. I wish then that I knew the tools that John shared with us today. So whether you've been abused, potentially as a child, or have overcome a trauma, moving into a survival state when your body is in high alert can feel very automatic, really at any time, especially when you don't feel safe. And right now, there are definitely moments that don't always feel safe in the world. Now, if you are looking for tools like the ones that John shared today that are easy and that can move you from that survival state, that sympathetic state, to a state of relax and really a state where your brain and your body feel safe, I highly recommend checking out his book. It's no wonder that it has sold out numerous times since March this year. Many of us are seeking strategies to relax and calm the mind and get us back to a place of creativity and endless possibilities. Now, I'm going to have the link for John's book because I know it's back up on Amazon. It's called Inner Size, The Proven Science to Unleash Your Brain's Hidden Power. And it's going to be the link for episode 210 today. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. I hope that the tools and the advice that John gave today make a massive difference for you moving forward. I know I'm super excited to use some of the things that I didn't know about that I learned today. Now on the next episode, it is a Q&A Friday episode, and I'm breaking down the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Now this is a question I get a lot, and what I know to be true is even practitioners don't get it right. So I'm not going to lie, the lines can really blur a lot between these two important phases in a woman's life, and I know it can feel very difficult to understand the difference, especially towards the end of perimenopause. But I'm going to break it down, and I'm going to also provide you ways to really thrive whether you're in perimenopause or menopause. So I'm looking forward to this episode. I hope you are too. And until then, have an amazing day. 